Welcome to the second series of Batonnage, a podcast of stirring and stimulating discussions about wine. Hosted by Liam Stevenson, a master of wine, who, with his team at Vineyard Productions, makes wine in France, Spain and New Zealand, and offers international consultancy through Global Wine Solutions, and Guardian wine columnist, journalist and author Fiona Beckett, publisher of MatchingFoodAndWine.com. In this episode, Fiona and Liam chat to Owen Morgan, sherry enthusiast of family-owned Bar 44 in Bristol and Cardiff. So this week we're talking about sherry, um, which is one of my favourite subjects and um, a favourite subject of our guest, um, Owen Morgan, who is the owner of Bar 44, which happens to be um, my local (laughs) point. (laughs) I'm in here all the time. And uh, we record here, don't we? Yeah. Occasionally. Um, and is also an international sherry educator. And whose Twitter name, is it your Twitter name or your Instagram name? Instagram. Instagram sherry. name is Sherry Monster. Yes. How did that come about? <laughs> Sorry about that, world. Um, I don't know. I was quite behind on the social media scene and decided to set up a profile. And... Uh, I don't know. Decided it needed a bit of fun in it and not be too serious. So, uh, so like Cookie Monster. Exactly. Sherry Monster 44. So that's, uh, that's what most people call me. <laughs> I don't know my real name. <laughs> Liam, are you a Sherry Monster? I don't think I am really. No, I'm not. I mean, I, I drink it. I mean, we have glasses of sherry every now and again, don't we? Mm, I'm here often, actually. But um, it's not a drink I go to very often. Um, I feel like it's something I should like. It's a bit like I feel like Mm. I should like whiskey. Mm. But I I don't, if I'm honest. Mm. I don't dislike sherry at all. But I just, it's not something I reach for very often. And I don't have a bottle in the fridge all the time or things I pull out. Although I wonder why. Mm. Well, exactly. And this is is the the big problem. Um, You know, what... Why is it that, you know, despite all its advantages, people are, are not drinking sherry more? Um, I mean, do you want to have a kind of stab at well, I guess it's, um, it's a bit of a hangover from mm. that sort of heyday in the, in the 70s, where it was a certain type of sherry that was hugely popular. Um, I'm not beating about the bush. We're talking about um, Bristol, Bristol, Bristol Cream. Oh, it's Bristol yeah. Cream. Yeah. Yeah. So we are in this historic centre of sherry um, mm. in, in, in its history, really. Um, and, well, if, if you're not being too blunt about it, they sort of overproduced, mm. sold it too cheap, stack them high, sell sure. it cheap. Uh, the quality worsened. They planted too much, um, and it was just about money, money, money. And then a lot of a lot more problems in the region followed, uh, and people fell out of love with it. Mm. And then sales declined because that generation died away. Yeah, uh, and then it wasn't replaced. So you had a stigma around the name of sherry. Yeah, um, like this happened with other Spanish things like cava, for example. In the past, and, and that's and that suffered, and we're sort of fighting back now over the past ten years, uh, as is the region, and just going back to basics of quality, uh, and sort of so less quantity. They've ripped up a third of the, the hectares of vines, uh, less volume, but but focusing on the drier styles and pairing with food, and trying to promote that as, uh, as something that everyone should have with a with a snack, with a meal, with something savoury, something sweet, something having a drink with a group of friends after work, 
Um, and that's how it should be, treated like a wine. So that, I think that's the problem that you've got to, it's not education as such, just sort of got to get people to try it and open their minds in that sense, really. Did it, you know, we say like it's it sort of gone out of fashion, but did it come into fashion? I mean, is it quite, I mean, was it fashionable in the 40s and in the 30s? Is it, is in it the a, 50s and 60s, I mean, um, you know, my, my parents had, um, like many people, their generation, had um, two decanters in the sideboard, mm. one of one of um, Fino um, and one of Amontillado, and they were the kind of English style. They were yeah. the slightly sweeter style. Yeah. Um, so the Fino wasn't chilled, and the Amontillado neither was no. neither was chilled. And um, I wouldn't say they stayed in the sideboard from one. Um, one Christmas to the next, but where they do in many households because they actually, you know, whenever they had drinks, so that, you know, people came and drank sherry. Um, but uh, so I, I, it was a thing. But that was that because it was a useful, stable beverage that you could have open for a while. It wasn't going to go off in a hurry, in theory. Um, that stability meant that you could have it in the decanter. I mean, I remember that. I remember growing up going to my grandparents' house mm. and there was always stuff on the sideboard and they would pour you some or they would drink some. It was and they definitely drink mass market yeah. volume uh, for a long, long time. And mm. a different style. I mean, it was both the both Fino and Amontillado were, were, were sweeter, weren't they? So Amontillado mm. was kind of described as medium dry. Yeah. I wonder whether, you know, in a way, we focus more on the drier styles whether that's made them harder to drink for people. I mean, you know, people liked them because they were slightly sweet. Amontillado mm-hmm. particularly is, is kind of like a, you know, quite a nice, you know, off-dry yeah. wine if you look at those um, those English styles. I So I agree with that. I think a lot of the, the sort of salty dryness to it is something that we all now see as a sign of quality and we look for, and it's how we describe, you know, concert quality, Manzanilla or Fino. But... Not necessarily is it a very easy style for lots of people, especially I would have thought for younger drinkers. You know, mm-hmm. if you gave that to a 18, 19, 20-year-old, they might... Yeah. yeah. It's, it's sort of a flavour you grow into, I think, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like olives. It's like olives. When we mm-hmm. train staff, we we don't, uh, well, we don't force them to drink. We, we say, look, if you don't like it, we'll teach you about it. Try, try it every day or for a number of times in a row. If you still don't like it, fine. But often, like when you're a child, coffee, tea, olives, things like that. Mm. Yeah, you grow and into it. Is, yeah, and food is it needs food. Yeah, and um, so it is maybe not for that. And we've got a good example here. Talk, talk us through what we've got. In well, this classes. is a Manzanilla, so yeah. it's a, essentially a fino, but from the town of San Luca, which is the most coastal town of the three Shelly towns, um, and it's been given its own. Dio within the Hereth and Sherry Dio because it is distinctly different from uh, Fino's from the other towns because of, because of that proximity to the sea. But it is, yeah, the driest wine you probably ever have mm. of any category. So less than one gram of sugar per litre. Um, this one is a Passare in Rama, so it's an aged Manzanilla and it's bottled unfiltered, so it's quite... Mm. And then rama means something. Yeah, that mm. raw style. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't strip any character away of more commercial finos and mountaineers. Mm. But this, I, I guess, on a day like this where it's 30 degrees outside, is your, your ultimate glass of white wine yeah. mm. with some prawns in the sunshine. And mm. You can imagine the beach and what have you there. So 
And they would actually, um, which seems sacrilege to many people, they would uh, actually dilute it, wouldn't they? Because it's, there's mm. a drink called a Rebohita. A Rebohita. Yeah. We, we sell stack loads of it. Um, mm. people oh, so people, explain people, what it is. Well, in its most basic form around the ferias and fiestas and parks in Spain during, during festival times, the, the youngsters would have bottles of uh, Manzanillo or Fino yeah. and, and dilute it with whether it's... Fanta Limon, 7-Up, Sprite, what okay. have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would be it. So mm-hmm. uh, in obviously in the bars, we do a bit more of a interesting thing with it. It's nice fresh mint, lemon or lime, and um, maybe some soda, but have it in a long, as a long drink, or even a pitcher between friends, and market it as a, a Spanish pins, like oh, barbecue wow. time. Yeah. Yeah. Have that amongst the barbecue, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's really, really refreshing. And so that's a sort of nice, I guess, an entry point, which will get some younger people into appreciating the drink whilst yeah. not having a full-on concentrated glass of it. I mean, I was in the south of France, been quite a lot of time in south of France recently, and they all drink a Perno Ricard, don't they, a lot. And that's a light, a refreshing drink to actually quite a young audience in southern France. Very, very popular. Is it? Yeah. I'm amazed. Yeah. That, that is multi, quite a mul- difficult taste. Multi-generational. Hugely popular, especially on the sort of Provence, you know, Marseille mm. area. And um, I don't know why I mentioned it. I guess I mentioned it because from, in say the UK, if you gave that to the average 18, 19 year old, I would say they would go, oh my God, that's quite a tricky flavour to get your head round. And yet, if you grow up with it, it's a very refreshing drink. And I wonder, maybe some similarities here in a drink, in a flavour mm. profile that is maybe slightly challenging if you're not used to it. But actually, if you grow up and you're used to it, then it becomes, you can see that, you know, mm. why it is refreshing. I mean, to lots of people, a refreshing drink is, you know, Fanta or Coke, isn't yeah. it? You know, and it's yeah. not sour and sweet and salty. It's actually, um, you know, fruity mm. and sugary, but it's not that. But is modern, a modern taste changing? So the sort of popularity with cocktails of now your dry and bitter style Negronis and things like yeah. that are very popular, Aperol and, and things. Is is it developing into drier? When you think about the, the think popular wines, um, maybe wine you know, wine. think about, you know, Albarino, for example, mm. so in Spain or, or Pitbull, um, you know, those are they're quite dry wines. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there is a taste for those. But I wonder in a way whether there's just so many other choices. I mean, if you go back to, you know, parents, grandparents' generation, you know, really wine drinking was not common, um, except, you know, perhaps, you know, for a more special occasion. It wasn't kind of like an everyday drink. Yeah. There wasn't fizz. Um, I mean, nowadays, I mean, you know, even in your bars, there's loads of choice. There's, there's yeah. you know, your bars where you're keen on sherry, but you're still selling. Um, so selling cava, you're selling um, gin and tonics. I, I suspect a lot of people who might once have gone for a sherry like look at those gorgeous big gin tonicers mm. and think, oh yeah, one of those. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, <laughs> yes. Does, it, does, yes. it does have a lot of competition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in that sense. Mm. Um, and I guess you need people. You need people to try it either standing at the bar mm. with a bar snack mm. or sitting at the table and say, do you know what? Mm. If this yeah. is your first try, have a glass of fino or, mm. or manzanilla, but have it with. This, even if it is some almonds or some olives mm. or something a bit more involved in a plate of food. But it, it just, like wines, like wines do, it changes dramatically once you put food into the equation. Mm. And I think that's where it sort of comes into its own, really. Yeah. And I guess 
eating out has changed and that this small plate dining is so popular, obviously here, but actually not mm. just here, generally small plate dining is more popular. By the glass offerings are growing and growing and growing. It's actually probably becoming more rare that you go out and order a bottle of wine to share, but mm. more common that you'd say, oh, we'll have a glass, we'll have a glass of something different. So all of mm. a sudden this has its, you know, I p- probably wouldn't go out for dinner and buy a bottle of Manzanilla and drink it over the course of the evening, even though that might be a perfectly decent thing to do from a flavor point of view, I wouldn't. But you would now, because of the way we eat and drink, the mm. idea of having this at the beginning or, or a sherry at the end or wherever that might be, mm. it gives you that flex. Mm. Do you think people are put off by the alcohol content? Is that, is that initially, an issue, do you think? Initially they are because they assume that it's very high alcohol. I get a, Yes, it's a fortified wine, but once you explain to them, if they do have one of the we call them the white wine styles of, mm. of, of sherry, that it's uh, 1% higher ABV than a big South American red wine, yep. something like that. Um, and they sort of, it does put them more at ease um, mm. with things like that. And, and It's and okay for Fina and um, uh, Manzanilla, but yeah. kind of trickier, isn't it, with... Um, trickier know, with those oxidized styles. So, yeah. um, the sweet wines are fine. The, the mm. Petra Jimenez is sort of back to 15%. Um, mm. But those are the, the styles in between mm. can get up to some twenty percent, and it's it is yeah you wouldn't really have a bottle, would you? No. Uh, it's a course in a meal, yeah, um, or something with a lovely cheese board, um, which you didn't necessarily always want something sweet. Mm. With you have a lovely rounded toasty style of dry sherry, mm. um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it is a stigma with alcohol as well, with mm. alcohol level. People mm. are going to be away with the fairies, mm. but it's like any any drinking, isn't it? Yeah. You know what you're drinking. Yeah. Um, going back to the Harvey's thing, yeah. um, so as we're in Bristol, what's the connection between Bristol and Sherry? Is it just a shipping port? Is it, why, why has Bristol got a history of, of Sherry? Uh, historically, with shipping, yes. yes. And I think the Bristol cream and Harvey's oh, obviously once with um, the region historically in terms of war and turbulent times down in, in that Cadiz region uh, you had Sir Francis Drake famously yeah. sieging Cadiz and going off with 3,000 barrels back to England and uh, giving it away for free and popularising it even more like Catherine of Aragon um, and VIII's wives and so popularising it as well. But once they sort of kept trying to nick it in blunt terms and couldn't, yeah. that was when British, uh, British, French, Dutch companies and names that you'll still see on producers and bodegas now uh, invested in the region and said, if we can't steal it, <laughs> sure. we'll go and open up business and, and do it legitimately. So and yeah. it's that was still really popular. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, Bristol Cream is still, and a, Bristol is, is still cream, a big brand. Yeah. Yeah. A Bristol Cream name, I think, wasn't it? There was a traditional drink called Bristol Milk okay. in, in mm-hmm. Bristol. And um, we brought this style of cream sherry back. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's even better than Bristol Milk. This is mm-hmm. Bristol Cream. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that sort of stuck as, okay. a, as mm-hmm. the, the Harvey's Bristol Cream brand. Yeah. And then they had a thing, didn't they, where they were advocating um, serving it in a tumbler with a couple of cubes of ice and a slice of, orange, of orange, which is actually quite nice. It's really refreshing. Yeah. Um, and if you want to make that longer, a spritz of soda or something, mm-hmm. and um, even some some rosemary or something mm-hmm. like that, I think in, in a vermouth kind of style of mm-hmm. simple serve, there's mm. lots of different things you can do. Mm. 
Um, I'm not sure that sweet isn't isn't the way to go. I mean, you think about um, PX Sherry, Pedro Jimenez mm. Sherry, just kind of dark, raisiny, treacly um, kind of sherry. Um, if you show people that in a sherry tasting, they're all over it. They absolutely yeah. love it. And it goes amazingly well with, with chocolate. And I have this, mm. this sort of sir that I always sort of trot out on these occasions, which is um, preferably a, fresh, a freshly baked chocolate brownie that's still a bit warm and oozy, a scoop of um, vanilla ice cream and a glass of pen, PX. Perfect. And it's really good. Yeah. yeah. I don't know anyone who doesn't like that unless they no. don't like the chocolate. Well, the dessert we sell most of is our tapas and sherry d- dessert. Well, it's pretty full. Like our own house truffles mm. just with a small measure of PX and we mm. do that. Mm. Mm. rather than a full-on dessert yeah um and it, that's our best seller so, so in terms of producers i mean i i kind of think we as an independent maybe uh wine merchant as you as a journalist we we generally seem to be more interested in smaller producers i often mm. feel with sherry that we still live in the land of the big brands and the big companies i mean interesting maybe you could tell me a little bit about what we're drinking now because i mean apart from the most like really beautiful label. I mean, I don't recognise these guys. Yeah, I mean, as you can see, a striking label, uh, which has all sorts going on. Yeah, uh, it looks like sort of. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of art you would. It's almost that. Indian, isn't it? Yeah, but um, it's all actually uh, designed by a, a local artist in the region and the current owners of the family uh, of the bodega, and they wanted to bring the brand into the 21st century. Um, and start exporting. Yeah. They hadn't exported before. They had a really strong reputation locally um, for their wines, but it was very traditional labelling. And, and they could see themselves sticking out in a market which was dominated by the big shippers, yeah. the big producers, um, and all the historic names you know. But they saw there was a market to, to go to, and, and, and young people, and young drinkers, was something they really wanted to appeal to. And also, to shed that sort of dusty image, yeah. To be, it's it's lovely, great wines, but you can have a bit of fun. So, what are they called? Sorry, Bodegas uh, Baron. Okay, um, and this is their old signature range. They've rebranded as Chicharito, and that yep. was their granddad's nickname. Uh, he had these bright green, emerald green eyes, uh, and it was also this is also a name of a local pea in the region. Okay. And that was his nickname, uh, and this is him here in that folks in that illustration funny enough he used to walk around town wearing a kilt ah, <laughs> uh, he was obviously a, he was eccentric <laughs> yeah. and at his wife and they he used to take her around in his motorcycle sidecar so they were a bit of an eccentric family yeah um but weirdly you wouldn't know from this well you can't well, you can see columbus's boat here um because the solera system deep in the navel of the naves of the uh, bodega dates back to pre-1600s, they believe, and they they can prove it has one from 1630 in, in the Solera. Okay. Do you want to explain so, the Solera system for anyone who's not familiar with it? So yeah, I mean, I mean that's probably another reason why people struggle with sherry, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because it's not straightforward, like, you know, you take another region of Spain, Rioja, which is one of the mm-hmm. most famous regions in the world. Uh, you, generally have a vintage year to year and something to shout about yeah. whether it's been a good vintage bad vintage for all the reasons we know but sherry is a blended wine or 90% of it is um, so the Solera system like you have 
blended whiskies, etc. You you are blending a number of different ages of wines uh, in these barrels to create a consistent product. So you're not looking for a huge variance from one bottle into the next. You're putting younger wine into an older wine and you're taking so many sackers takings per year. Yeah. Uh, maximum 30% out of the base barrel uh, to go for bottling. Um, but there are re- and other reasons why they do that in, in these younger wines because they're aged under yeast. Of course, the younger, more nutrient-rich wines coming into the barrel are feeding that. Okay. So, so you can have a solera system yeah. and have a floor, floor layer. Yeah. And ha- you can do that for a number of years? Yeah. I mean, for, in Manzanilla, you can do it for a lot longer than Fino. Okay. Because of that microclimate. Um, Which is good for floor Luca, growth. There is more, more sort of the, the floor layer is a lot thicker than it yeah. is inland in Jerez, up on the hill. Okay. Um, and you can probably replace that sack and take a sack up to up to eight, nine, ten times a year. Yeah. Where maybe three times a year in Hereth you may you may do that. Gosh, that's what's nice. so I didn't know it that. changes the whole nature of the, of the wine. Is it is it too simplistic to say the bigger the Solera system, the better the quality? Is that is that way too simplistic? Yeah. Um, it, would, it does make sense. Yes. I mean, does, I mean, does it get more complex the more years that are added, um, or is that again? Yeah, I mean, you, if you have on the bottle, for example, that also the age of the Solera. Yeah. So you'll have a grand old bottle of traditional um, Oloroso, on that powerful style of sherry that would be from a Solera from eighteen thirty-five. Yeah. Um, the chances are there are still drops of wine in there that are that old yeah. because it's that constant blending system. So you're going to get, the longer a Solera system goes on, necessarily the size of it, but the length of time, you're going to get a more refined and more complex wine. I mean, I've, I don't know, I've, the, the Rioja world, it seems to me, um, if you were to have a conversation about Rioja 20 years ago, we'd talk about the great Riochas being Grand Reservas. And there seems mm-hmm. to have been a move away from Grand Reserva back to Reserva because they want to show off the fruit more. So actually just aging the stuff for longer yeah. doesn't necessarily make it better. I mean, is there any truth to that with Sherry too? Or? You get, like in any sector, you get different schools of thought. Okay. And you get people who sit on one side or the other and, and people like us who are very open-minded and <laughs> can see the benefit of all, all styles. Yeah. But I, I would say, yeah, with... with um, there's light and fresh styles, which a lot of people, I think, in the modern drinks industry now would say that's the area they could see with growth for, for sherry. It's a light, fresh, dry, have them chilled over over an ice bucket. Yeah. Um, you want to see that young, easy drinking style, even though we've sort of explored that it could be quite a difficult um, taste for some people. Yeah. For that age 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 thing it has its place i think yeah um and there's always a market for it and those wines will be very high priced um for obvious reasons um but i think equally a young fresh right um, have you tried manzanilla that's sort of one year old two years old yeah i mean you have wines in sobre tabla yeah. stage which so obviously fermentation has gone through but there'll be kept in that nursery stage for up to 12 months before they enter the Solera system. Yeah. Uh, so we try wines which have just been fermented um, and then sort of nine months later um, and then your scales in the Solera. So 
from from one year to the next yeah. back to in a obviously a minimum age for a sherry is three years in a light style um, but somewhere like San Luca you could get 10 scales 10, 10 years of aging within the Solera because that floor layer is thick so you, you can see the changes uh, it's really interesting yeah I bet I'd love to do that uh, yeah there doesn't seem to be or like it strikes me that there wasn't quite a level of innovation really with sherry that there is with port I mean port sort of you know, another fortified wine that's got a slightly traditional image. But actually quite a lot has gone on in terms of sort of, um, again, fruitier, fruit-driven styles, white porter, you know, mm. being very successful in pushing white port now as a kind of summer drink that you can drink with tonic. I do, you know, my impression is that, certainly from the bottles you see around mainly, that actually there's not so much innovation in sherry. I don't know what do you think. There is, I mean, there is. There's in it, it, I suppose you can take innovation in the sense of at the producer end and the bottling end, and also to the consumer end in terms of, I suppose, the on trade and how they market that and innovate it to the consumer. But in terms of production, you are finding a lot of innovation from the big players and also the small boutique producers now. So. Uh, playing around, well, not playing around, they're producing excellent small bottlings of uh, single pago, single plot um, sherries in very small production, um, single barrel vintage sherries, um, and, and also producing a series of wines from different plots and producing them as a, as a range. And you, so you can really assess differences. Um, we've tried recently uh, from one of the larger producers, Gonzalez Bias, a, a finite range. Mm. Uh, you've tried the Oloroso here, um, but they had a small vintage Fino bottling from 2010 and then from 2011. And you can directly see the taste difference and, and link it back to the, yeah. to the vineyard and to, to the, what it was like that year for the harvest. And the, and the difference in the wine is incredible. Um, so there are things like that happening. There's lots of innovation in things like presentation of labels. Yeah, I mean, this is um, a, modern, a modern label, yeah, which is actually so really there's lots of that. Um, appealing. But it's but tradition in terms of style, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. very classic. It yeah. is classic. Yeah. Right? But there's not, you know, there's not, I kind of think there could be a lot more of that. I don't know. Aliyah, there is a lot going on. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the... Um, I think because uh, we've actually I've seen that Twitter debate about Riesling happen recently mm. and, you know you get these defenders of Riesling yeah. not these I could equally be one of them but you get a lot of people that don't understand why the world doesn't like Riesling yeah. um, or why it doesn't drink more Riesling yeah. and and I find that actually sometimes with some of these styles which potentially have fallen out of fashion that what you end up is these sort of defenders of the faith you know that are kind of like don't understand why we wouldn't possibly like this style and which is fine. And of course, you need defenders of faith. And it's great that people go out and say, you know, don't forget us. We're a relevant style. It does work and try. And that's really good. But I also think there is time sometimes to go, well, maybe maybe the world has moved stylistically away from this center where we are right now. And we need to tell a slightly different story. And I wonder whether sometimes, you know, what you're saying about innovation that, you know, Fiona, you just said we don't see much. And I don't think we see much innovation in sherry maybe it's time to tell some of those stories a bit better rather than consistently say you know you should be drinking mansier because it's like this you know what i mean yeah, yeah no, totally. I, I, and i think riesling has exactly the same issue it's kind mm -hmm. of it's it's almost like 
there's sort of an anger from these defenders, which is sort of why doesn't the world get it? Well, maybe the world doesn't get it for a reason and we need to take a different angle. I, I, I don't know whether that's right or wrong. Although our podcasts focus on the liquid in the glass, every bit as important to its pleasure is how it's stored, presented and served. Tanglewood create the finest cellar spaces. Open the door and you immediately know you are somewhere special. Beautifully crafted, ingeniously organised, every cellar is bespoke, built to showcase wines. The team at Tanglewood are the finest in the industry. Draftsmen and craftsmen working with the best materials and equipment available. And it's not just cellars. Wine fridges, glasses, everything down to the all-important corkscrew. Have a look at tanglewoodwine.co.uk for more or follow them on Instagram at Tanglewood Wine Storage and send a direct message to receive a 10% off code for all wine refrigeration and accessories. I mean, I think that a similar kind of product, sake, um, which again hasn't really taken off, although it's much loved in some restaurants. Um, you know, uh, I mean, partly is the, you know, it's indecipherable um, labels, so nobody kind of gets yeah. what, you know, they don't know the, what the quality levels are, they don't know what to expect, they don't know whether it's, you know, it's dry or sweet. And, uh, you know, I think sake could have done itself a big favour by industry by, by kind of having more contemporary and um, English labelling. I mean, it would have helped. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, showing needs more contemporary labelling too, really. Um, yeah. Things that tell a better story. Yeah. Better names. So that, I mean, you know, fair in her earth in May, you, there was a huge amount out there we were tasting that I was, ah, oh, these bottlings are fantastic. Yeah. They all had a unique story behind them yeah. regarding the family or the, uh, the vineyard. And they're, they're linking it much more back to the vineyard now trying to get away from the fact that it's just a blend of wine. Yeah. They're trying to make that link. Probably, maybe they want to be more relevant in the wine world. I'm not sure. But for me, it's about how do we get the end consumer, for example, in the UK, mm. to see these bottlings and how do we make it accessible to them and for them to want to drink it and try it. Yeah. And I think potentially you have to be interesting, not just at the top end. So I think so too, actually. I think there's an issue Mm. with sherry, potentially, that, I mean, let's look at someone like Lustau, for example. Mm. I love Mm. their sherries. They're Mm. extraordinarily good. Um, but the point, the point that you suddenly get to the really kind of interesting areas of, you know, single yes. vineyard or thing, you're suddenly a long way up the quality list. You're, you're a long in geek, way. Geek territory. You really are yeah. in geek yeah. territory. Yeah. Yeah. So, whereas if you think about what maybe the natural winers movement have done, mm-hmm. or hey, you know, vermouth, or, the, the, the or even in wine, in in, mm-hmm. in the Roussillon or in the Jura, mm-hmm. I don't know, lots of places. I mean, the Bordeaux conversation we had recently. I mean, actually, you're not going out of. The not people's normal spend, but you're still being interesting and different and telling a telling a narrative which is you know got a proper story. It's intrinsically interesting, um, and I wonder whether Sherry maybe the moment you get there, you're quite a long way up. And there's a it's like let's flood the market with the generic, and then let's uh, I don't know maybe there's something in in that. Let's let's try um, yeah. um, a geeky Sherry. Um, cool. So I really is, like this, by the way. I think it's delicious. I think it is really yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other thing, um, which you can't see, obviously, because it's a podcast, is um, that we are drinking these sherries out of normal wine glasses and that they are all, um, they are all chilled. Um, and uh, I think people sort of don't always realise that you don't, you don't have to drink them in small glasses. You don't, no, and, and, I mean, and, and, and that actually, you know, some degree of chill helps most sherries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, First off, the glass, and that's why I put that 
traditional copita down on the table as mm. well because when we do training and um, PowerPoints and stuff to, to staff and consumers and guests, I always put up near the end about how to store and serve and to enjoy the sherry, but most. And I put a big picture on the, on the screen of Doc Cotton with her little thimble of yeah. whatever for medicinal purposes <laughs> that she drinks. Um, but that's not a way to enjoy any wine, surely. No. So you need to treat it like It's 35 degrees it. outside. You exactly. need big glasses of anything to A big today. glass. I mean, I, this, is, this is actually my favourite style of sherry. What is it? Uh, Palo Contado. So I don't even know what that means. So... Uh, you're, you're the sherry agent. Give, give us a kind of succinct It literally means cut stick. Um, okay. So in the romantic sense of the word, it um, would have been a fino style of sherry uh, evolving under that yeast layer floor. Yep. Um, and when they go to do their tastings with the Venanthia on a regular basis, they would assess it and say, oh, something's either gone wrong, um, technically or otherwise, or temperature okay. or something well the floor's and failed it, and it's failing so it started yeah. to oxidize uh, and historically then the winemaker would then put because of the fino mark is that palmer mark um which is a forward slash basically on the end of the barrel with chalk yeah they'll put a straight line horizontally through it so it's a cut stick okay uh and that's where the name comes and they from. would then fortify it again um historically then they would leave that to evolve in contact with oxygen so it would uh, okay. I, uh, these days they they make it commercially because of the demand it's probably the, the used to be the most uh, unique style the rare style but such is the demand that you do make this style now so, so floor needs to be about what 15 16 percent alcohol 15 percent is that magic okay so and over that the floor over that if you fortify it again it kills that off or if you starve it of nutrients, or you don't refresh the wine, yeah, it will die as well. So taking taking the Manzanillo or the Fino style, fortifying up to twenty effectively would do that, wouldn't it? it would to kill. seventeen, yeah, yeah. Okay. You fortify to seventeen, and yeah, that would, that would do the trick. So that's what they do with the Montiado, yeah, would, for so many years as a Fino, depending on the producer, and they would probably then fortify it to kill off the floor. Yeah. Historically, they would just leave it to go on its on its own yeah uh these days with palo Cortado, you probably identify you use the finest fino mm. um free run juices yeah develop it as a fino for a year or so and then fortify again um, i mean i think it's um i think it's more like an amontillado in style and mm. um for me it's got this lovely smoothness it's slightly lighter than amontillado and um Put this salted caramel, salted yeah. caramel grilled hazelnut. Yeah, I mean, really it's nutty. such a gorgeous wine. I mean, it's, it's uh, absolutely fantastic. And this is, this I think it could be a connoisseur's wine and a sherry man's wine equally as an every, every man yeah, wine yeah. Um, with the right food mm. to really appreciate it. Um, what, what, yeah, what would you... It's got that, it's, it's got that, they always say that, they? it's kind of... Between an Oloroso and a Montiado and Oloroso, so it's got mm. the, the delicacy of a, a Montiado, but also some of the power mm. of that Oloroso. It's so a bit like a spirity real ale. Is it? Mm. 
for me, something. It's got like, like an alienness to it, kind of a nutty, hoppy alienness yeah, to it. I'm just kind of thinking of it in food terms. I'm thinking sort of come. It does have that nose mm. as well, mm. and like that's because yeah. also nose I'm as thinking. Well. I am thinking um, roast pork. Pork would be beautiful. It would be yeah. so nice with that. Roast um, pork and caramelised onions. Or kind of, um, kind of meatballs. Um, yeah. What, and duck or is cheese. always, duck's always a duck. big thing mm. with this. I can see uh, that. And it works really, really well with duck. Mm. Um, so, and, and yeah, strong. The difficulty is, so, you know, like if you imagine people buying it to, to, to drink at home, you know, you're just not going to have, you're not going to kind of replicate a kind of sherry tasting mm. menu or anything like that. So I think you, I think it works with you know snacks. So kind of like it's on, on an evening when you know maybe you've been out to lunch and you're kind of like getting to about nine o'clock and you think hmm, kind of fancy something. Yeah, exactly. Glass of something like this, some little bit of cheese yeah. or some or cured like, ham. Yeah, some yeah. Really well cured ham. Yeah, be beautiful. Would, yeah. would be nice. And sherry is now. We're just talking about obviously sherry from Perth today, mm-hmm. but I mean, is sherry still made around the world? No, 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 only only in the sherry triangle. Yeah, well, it's illegal to call word sherry. But there is Indian sherry and South African. I mean, the, the style, style. Yes, but... there are there are kind of wines that are like sherry, but they cannot be called sherry. This this was a problem. I think it's the oldest do in Spain it okay. is, is is the sherry do of Jerez, but it's. They had the problems with people, Australian, South African-style yeah. wines that were calling themselves sherry. And obviously the Brits selling sherry that was essentially British fortified wine. Quite yeah. cheap. That's, that's the bottom row on the supermarket shelf. But it's not sherry. And they, they proved through history that sherry is place. So okay. sherry is essentially a, a modern word for hereth, yeah. which was originally called shirish which was the, the Arabic or Moorish name for the city oh, okay. when they were ruling. Yeah. So that's, it goes back to then. But I know that, you know, places like South Africa and Australia particularly have big sherry-style industries, mm-hmm. but do they South still? South Africa particularly. South Africa, I think, still does. Um, I mean, actually, I was in um, uh, Rueda, which is a DM north of, um, uh, north of Madrid recently, and they've got a kind of sherry-type wine called Dorado, which is... Um, it's like a kind of slightly lighter, less evolved kind of sherry, but actually rather nice. Yeah. And I've noticed mm. that this, um, this use of a Solera system, I've seen it in wine production. In fact, mm. I can't remember the name of the producer, but I tasted a champagne house the other day and mm. they use Soleras in their mm. production methods. And I think it's becoming more common, this concept yeah. of yeah. using a runner barrels and yeah. using letting younger wines freshen mm. older wines. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Mm. Um, equally near... The sherry region, you've got the Montilla yeah. region in, in Cordoba. Um, and the Crunky, they've got even more of a job on their hands to try and market <laughs> those wines because they, they have all the same sherry styles, yeah. but they're, they're not sherry. Right. Uh, mm. And they'll generally be made from Pedro Jimenez. So you'll get Fino made from Pedro Jimenez. Okay. So it's another thing for the consumer to Can they be good? get their head around. Yeah, superb really wines. good. Really? Superb yeah. wines. But what, it, um, I, mean, I feel like Montilla is like a cooking thing. Right, no, it's uh, well, it, it, Amontillado sherry comes from historically the word Montilla, the place Montilla. Okay, if you, that's the middle of Amontillado in the sense of the, the word. You put a Montilla and then a DO on the end, it's a Montillado. Yeah, so that's where that comes from, that style. Uh, it was originally from Montilla, but it's a 
beautiful wine regions making great wines mm. um, but again sort of fairly unknown and you've got certain people in the UK trying to promote them which is fantastic yeah, yeah. So, so I how do we I hear people tell me that sherry is cool again mm. but is it is it cool have you seen this the new one sign upstairs? <laughs> is that what it says? It says Sherry is sexy. Okay. Yeah. You're not taking a selfie and below that sign. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do it after this. Yeah. No, but is it um, cool? Do you feel like I it? think it is. I mean you had a boom, it was probably what, five or more years ago now, where Sherry Bars in the UK, London obviously, um, sort of sets the trend in many things. Um, it was all happening. And then New York and Sydney and places like that, global cities, were opening sherry bars. And it did become the hip, cool thing. Mm. Um, but I think within the trade, there was like, oh, when is it going to yeah. kick into mainstream? And I'm friends on my street at home are like, well, what's it all, you know, this is all you drink and all you go on about. So come on, what's it all about? So then you slowly, one by one, get people mm. into it. And, and that is the thing is, for me, is like, how do we cross over into someone putting that in their supermarket shop basket sure. well, one rather reason, than a bottle of Pinot Grigio or One, one reason or they might is actually price. I mean, of course, it's mm. phenomenally good value, particularly yeah. in half bottles, which um, are great, yeah. great value. Um, and often on those sort of cross um, promotions where you get, um, you know, 25% off six bottles, mm. um, I mean, you can often get a superb sherry for under five pounds. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of it's annoying, really, that, that the big retailers don't do more to push it. Yeah, exactly. Before we wrap up on sherry, because I think we should let you just for a couple of minutes tell us about your restaurants, because we're big fans, and we, I'd like to. And, it, and it's a proper story. No, I think you should just do that because I think it's a proper. Before we go there, so I went to the one in Cardiff the other day, oh. and you're right opposite um, Stadium. Millennium Stadium. Yeah. So just going back to the cool thing, it's rugby day on Saturday, okay, and it's full of mm. rugby folk. Mm-hmm. I, are you happy walking to the bar and saying, I'd like a glass of manzanilla? Yes. Yeah. We managed to... <laughs> well, that's good, after, good for you. It's tough. <laughs> after the last yeah. uh, British Lions tour yeah. to New Zealand, so we've famously held them to a drawn series in New Zealand, and uh, we walk up to the, to the bar. Of course, the time zone is very different, and it's not a time of day where you thought you'd see people well drinking full stop yeah um but there's a load of people in their club rugby shirts outside bar 44 on the street in cardiff drinking a bottle of palo oh, uh, wow. 11 o'clock in the morning and Good. it's like oh, brilliant we've so, done it did you we, did you take pictures so of we did we managed to get <laughs> managed to get the welsh rugby team onto it we've got all, all, all sorts of people just saying come and have a come and have a try it's uh it's sometimes yeah. as much as sticking a a uh, faux sherry barrel at the front door um, fill it with water but you've got your, your sherry Steve Venencia stick yeah. and any passerby they come and have a go at pouring and you put a, um, a felt marker line on the side whoever can fill you know get most in the glass wins a prize or something like that just a super simple fun thing yeah no, it's and great. then put some almonds on the side and, and some real sherry not water because I'm not going to waste all that sherry on the floor yeah uh, <laughs> And let them have a little taste. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, if you can win that audience, I would have thought that's as yeah, challenging as any. Yeah, so go on quickly then. So you started a restaurant 
Crikey, yeah, 2002, September okay. 2002. So my sister had moved back from London. She's in hospitality in London uh, and had a restaurant in our hometown of Cowbridge. Tiny, tiny market town. Yeah. One track town. Um, Actually famous for a wine merchant. A very good wine uh, yes, merchant. Yes, yeah, yeah. Friend of ours as well. Yeah. Um, and there was a derelict conservative club. Um, funny enough, day after famous day of politics yesterday. Um, and nothing was happening there. And, and in, you know, we were fanatic as a family about Spain and food and drink. And we were a cooking family it was, as we, when we were growing up. Uh, and we got persuaded to take the unit on probably because we were young and naive and didn't know too much about what it involved. Um, and it was a tiny first floor venue with 10 tables and we had to turn that round and, and made it into what on a street which was full of a sort of old boys pubs um, where they'd sort of turn and stare at you if you walked in, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and the one stuffy old restaurant where the menu hadn't changed in 30 years. We were like, there's nothing fun. There's nothing more cosmopolitan, more social, and there's nothing. Why don't you create some food to go with a drink rather than the other way around, which is, of course, what Britain would see as the way to, okay, to do cool. it in a restaurant or bar sense. So, um, and that was when we started Tapas Bar. Yeah. Uh, and it was myself and my brother and my sister. And we sort of, uh, it was blood, sweat and tears for many Was many it years, Bar 44? Actually. It was Bar 44. That's what? the number of the high streets. Okay. Uh, that was the only reason. Uh, we called it that. Yeah. Didn't know any better at the time. Uh, uh, so it's something that stuck and we thought about changing when we opened more bars. But actually, people in our area in Wales, they, they sort of knew us for what we did. So we were like, well, it's easier than having to create something all again. So, so then you opened more. Then we opened one in Penarth, so a seaside town just outside Cardiff on the headland of Cardiff Bay, yep. which is an old Victorian promenade and pier town. Uh, which is great actually because that's an another sort of quite a sense of community in that town as there is in Cowbridge. Yeah, um, so you can make friends. But it's it's bigger, but it's still uh, it was it was slightly more open minded in terms of food and drink. People wanted to try new things, and we could put any part of um, a fish or animal on the menu, and they'd go for it. And uh, <laughs> it was it was quite fun. And that actually things like sherry, they were like, oh, okay, yeah. So I was like, have a plate of this. We cooked it in it and got a glass of it with it. So mm. it was, it was that, that sort of thing. So then we thought, well, we'd never go down the city centre route. We were definitely the sort of suburban route. Uh, and Cardiff at the time was quite, wasn't the best of scenes. It was that, it was that boozy city centre, regional city centre scene. Yeah, yeah. But then we saw a building that came up, which funnily enough, was next to the stadium and we used to go before rugby matches with my mum and dad okay. for years and years and we'd go for a quick drink in there. But it was an old bonded warehouse that had yeah, a beautiful lovely. character to it. A lot bigger than you than it looks because it's four rooms. But we got that and we sort of, ever since we got that, we sort of changed the scene in Cardiff a little bit and there was somewhere great to come and eat and drink yep. in Cardiff. It was cooking real food and doing something different. Um, then we opened Astador, so Northern Spanish grill, cooking over different types of wood, big, big old uh, chops of beef and turbot yep. and beautiful local veg with a great wine list, more wine focus than sherry focus really. Before we came back over to the big border over the Severn Bridge. Yeah. And here we are in Bristol. Well, we're yeah, very, we're very happy to have you here. Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we've, all three of us lived here for five years, 
when we were younger. Okay. So we know lots of people around here, but we've made lots of friends here since we've been in the industry because yeah. it's such a food and drink orientated town. Yeah. We know loads of people in the scene and luckily enough to call them friends. Yeah. And, um, so we were always over here anyway. Uh, and thankfully, we've got a community in Clifton Village and locals like Fiona. <laughs> You're hardly ever in here, right? Never, 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 yeah. But just in, sorry, I know we need to wrap up. But the that idea of uh, opening a restaurant for you, you'd know more about this than anyone really. Um, and placing as much importance on drink as food is actually not normal. In fact, it's not normal, is it? I mean, people often come from one angle or the other. But yeah, no, I think it's really important, and actually, it really, it really can work. A, a, a drinks focus, um, you know, especially people kind of want to just drop in somewhere after work and, and that's their way into the restaurant isn't it you know then they kind of come after work and then they think oh actually they do Sunday lunch which you do yes yeah um, what's that um, Theresa Yorkshire pudding yeah Very famous good. Theresa Yorkshire pudding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I think I think you know you've, you've just got to carry on with your mission your one man that's mission yeah. to change the world of Sherry yeah and we, we need to yeah, we should do our bit too. I mean, like all wine writers are always banging on about it. But, um, and you know, maybe you should create a sherry brand. Liam. That's your mission. Yeah, I mean, I, well, you know how I work. I love the idea of getting in a, and just finding interesting barrels and see if we could do something with it. So the, I'd, I'd love to do something down there. It'd be great. Okay, but sherry people, I hope you're listening. Um, you know, get, get Liam down to her air. <laughs> let him loose. <laughs> Thanks very much, Owen. Thank you for having me. It's been great Um, fun. Really good. Really good session. Thank you. You have been listening to Batonage, a wine podcast hosted by Fiona Beckett and Liam Stevenson. For tips on matching food and wine, visit Fiona's website, matchingfoodandwine.com, or to make, buy, or sell wine, check out Liam's company, globalwinesolutions.com or vineyard-productions.com. 